Our scripture passage this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Mm -hmm. Let us pray. Good Father, please, through the power of the Spirit, Help the word come alive this morning to the praise and glory of Christ's name. Amen. Valentine's Day is coming up, which means for a great many in our land, they will sit at that card and take that moment to pause. Think of, how do I write my love for this other person, this other individual, or for some of us men, it means, oh, we got to run to like CVS really quickly, grab whatever card we first find on the shelf and, and try to pretend that we didn't forget about it until the last minute. Of course, any of such men will remain. You have the forgiveness of Christ. But um, this sermon and, and really what we're going to do today, we're going back to a text we've already looked at. We looked at several times now. Let's move on already. Let's get through Ephesians. But we're going to look at it in a new way because, in a new emphasis, because if I asked you to write down why you love God, you've come here, you, you've appeared in your Sunday best because, in one sense, you're professing, at least outwardly. That you have a relationship with God, that you love God, most likely. Why do you love God? What would you say? What would you write down? Now, normally when I ask people about God, I discover that they tend to just say, you know, three words in describing God. God is love. And that seems pretty good at first. Uh, You know, the Apostle uh, John in his first pastoral epistle, uh, he, he talks he mentions how God is love. And so there, it's echoing a part of Scripture. 
But what if instead of saying God is love, I said to you, God is a trinity? Does that, does that warm your heartstrings? Does that really bring you to, to great heights of emotion? No, you're, you're already going, oh no, oh no, Kevin's going to give us another theological sermon. It's going to be so boring. Uh, this is that heady kind of pastoral thing. And yet, I'm going to admit right off the bat, my goal in this sermon is going to be to focus on the Trinity in such a way that hopefully you understand that announcing that God is triune, that God is a Trinity, is actually a declaration of His love. It's an expression of His love and how He has loved us. I would venture to say that most of us, we've been in this passage now for five weeks, didn't really notice the fact that the Apostle Paul, in this one verse in the Greek that we find from 3 to 14 in Ephesians chapter 1, that he actually goes through the Trinity in this sentence. He begins it by talking about the Father. In the middle, he focuses on the Son. And at the end, he concludes talking about the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul is declaring, before you begin anything in Ephesians, understand the triune reality of your God. So my aim is a big one today. If we really want to understand why God is love, you must understand well that He is a trinity. I've heard people in my lifetime say things like, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I just like the God of the New Testament. I I think there's a lot of reasons for that, mostly ungodly reasons. But I think part of it can sometimes be that people don't as clearly see the Trinity. You don't see the Trinity in such a way that they can begin to see which persons of the Trinity are uh, moving and are one God in the Old Testament. Just uh, in Sunday school, for instance, we were talking about Uh, Old Testament passages that pointed to Christ, that pointed to the Holy Spirit, that pointed to the Father. When you understand the Trinity, the whole Bible comes alive in new ways as God's love story for us to know we know God's love more intimately. If I said I love my wife, she's such a wonderful woman. She was born in Beijing. She's 5'8". She's got olive skin. She, she knows every Shakespearean sonnet by heart. If I said all these things are the reasons why I love her, you'd be like, Kevin, you, you don't even know your wife. And yet, how content are we as Christians to oftentimes um, know little about God? Same is true of the Trinity. We can't say we know the fullness of God if we aren't comfortable with understanding what it means to say God is a trinity. And so, when Paul begins this little ancient catechism of Ephesians, describing God in these technical ways, he starts with God as a trinity. So, the first thing I want to say about the trinity is this. And this idea can be revealed in looking into the argument Paul is making at the beginning of Ephesians. Christianity is first and foremost not about lifestyle changes. It's not about lifestyle change. What do I mean by that? Ten-step programs are about lifestyle change. 
Diet programs are about lifestyle change. Politicians are often about lifestyle change. You know, here we just had an inauguration of a new president. He signs a bunch of bills into being. And, uh, you know, he's, for instance, killed the Keystone Pipeline. He's uh, made it so biological males who identify as female can, can participate in uh, female sports. He's going to make it easier to fund internationally abortion, federal funding of abortion. And people are celebrating this in America. Why? Because they voted for him in order to bring about these lifestyle changes in our country. That was their hope. And another portion of the country is groaning. Because they did not vote for him because they did not want those lifestyle changes for our country. God will change your life. He will change your lifestyle. But He does not primarily come to you at first in order to accomplish lifestyle change. He comes to you in order that you might have relationship with Him. And in that relationship, you are changed. The Trinity tells us this, as we're going to see. The God of Christianity, when we have a relationship with Him, it will change our life. But it's not the most important thing to have in the Christian life. No, the most important thing to have in the Christian life is knowing God personally. Knowing God in and through the power of the Spirit. If you know Him like that, you're ultimately going to receive all the benefits that come with knowing Him. The more that you see God, as John writes, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, you will be made like Him. The Pharisee in the famous parable of Luke that declared, um, thank you God that I'm not like other men before the temple. He had this impressive list of lifestyle changes that he had through the Word of God. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I give and I tithe and I'm just... It is amazing that he didn't say he walked on water. But Jesus makes clear he went home not having the faintest idea of who God was. He had no true relationship with God. And so he really had no real life change. Whereas the tax collector of that parable, or maybe even easier to see, the thief on the cross, while they didn't enjoy, when we meet them in Scripture, this long period of lifestyle change, they had a relationship with God. And in that relationship, they were quickly changed radically. They began to know who God was and God embraced them and they were welcomed by God and they were not sent away. I take it as a compliment when people tell me, you know, in your sermons, you focus too much, you talk too much about God. I often have people do this. They'll either do it in a positive way or a negative way sometimes. But either way you come to me and tell me this, I take it as a positive. Because one of the main reasons I focus on Jesus in the sermons is I'm really not interested in trying to get you to change your lifestyle without first having a relationship with God and understanding Him better and looking to Him better. Because when you look to Him, He will change you. It's in first knowing God, 
can't get the cart before the horse. That truly changes the lifestyle, the preferences, how we live, how we move, and how we have our being in this world. So let's look to God. We begin with the Father, just as the Apostle Paul began with the Father, just as our historic creeds, such as the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the Athanasius Creed, these creeds that we embrace here at Old Goshenhoppen, they begin with the Father. The Father is where we will begin. G.I. Packer, who recently went to be with the Lord in heaven, once wrote, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he takes the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well. So let us consider that quote. God is your father. God is your father. And you are his child. When I often think of God as his father, I think about um, six Saturdays I used to always have every year growing up as a child. My family would go up to USC games from really my earliest days. We'd go cheer in the Coliseum. My parents wanted to make sure I, I, I cheered uh, robustly for the Trojans. And so they said, if the Trojans win, we get to go to this meal to celebrate. If they lose, we get to go to this terrible restaurant, you know, instead. And of course, we always ended up, even though, especially my youth, they lost a lot. They still lose a lot now. Um, there was that one period of time, but anyways. Uh, they'd always end up taking to a dinner celebration. So you'd have this long day up in Los Angeles, and you cheer, and, and, and my favorite place to go was Bob's Big Boy as a young child, and I'd get that chocolate shake and the fries and the, and the hamburger. And then by the time I get in the car as a young kid, you know, I'm just, I'm full, I'm happy, I'm spent, and for the three-hour drive down to San Diego again, I'm asleep. And I remember when I was young, I would wake up the next morning in my bed. And I knew that my father had carried me into the bed. I knew my, I could go to sleep comfortably because I knew my father would see it through. That's the beauty of having God as a father. God will see it through. He will carry you through. Having a father in heaven means he's never going to abandon you. Especially not abandon you when you fall asleep in this world and awake to be in the next. But more than that, he's eternally been a father. And that means he has a son. And so that means he's not approachable, he's approachable to his adopted children because he's always had a child of his own. And he wants to share the same kind of love that he has for his adopted children that he has with his son. I thought of the Nice family when reflecting on this text. They uh, have been caring for this baby and uh, so far being a foster care family for them, but at least at last check with them, uh, they, they really might want to adopt this baby. To have this baby enjoy the same kinds of blessings that their other children have enjoyed. That's a little bit like the father's adoption of us. He desired to love you like family, like his own son. 
And so the next time you catch yourself wallowing or on the edge of depression, maybe you're there right now. The Father can never stop loving His children. He hates sin. He loves the world. Jesus proves that. He sustains the world here and now. And even though we can be discouraged and say, Lord, just end it now. Father, end it now. He's, he's, he's like the happy father in the corner. He's saying, I'm not done adopting children yet. I have a few more this morning. I have a few more if the world lasts until tomorrow. I have a few more this morning, this morning, this morning, this morning. I'm adopting. And he's gathering his children cheerfully. And that's a great thing. That the world still continues forward in this world. I think uh, there's oftentimes in history, Christians have gotten carried away about wanting to say, this is the time that the world's going to end. What if we looked at it another way? God has given us this morning so that He might adopt more children. Such love by Him is able to change our life. And also, as any good father will, while this has fallen out of popularity, He will discipline us. It's not all the rage in our current society, but... He will discipline us. And so sometimes when we fall under hardship, sometimes it's like Job, it's disconnected, but some of the hardship that falls upon us, we should ask ourselves, is it because maybe the, God, the Father is providing me a good discipline right now? So that's a little bit about the Father. Next, the Apostle Paul begins to look at the Son. When the prophet John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him for baptism, he declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If there was no son, there would be no perfect lamb. There would be no way of atonement, no way of forgiveness. I would further say the Christian really is only brought into saving knowledge of God when we begin looking unto Jesus. But even more than that, Christian maturity is found the more we look unto Jesus. All around our country, especially on a day like today, it's quite easy, for instance, to remain at home or to have anonymity in your relationship with Jesus. I mean, digital church, there will be churches that... I look forward to the day we're not streaming the entire service. And I'm not saying that people at home should come back. They, they should come at their own prompting. But I look forward to the day we have in-person church again and we have a full body. But Christians today, I'm not talking about people joining us remotely, they will decide to skip out on Jesus. They'll decide to skip out on Jesus for reasons like the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers, do yard work, other chores. And can I just be candid for a moment? Failing to look to Jesus as a professed Christian, failing to spend time with Him, habitually finding other things more important than Him, desirable than Him, over and over and over and over again is not good long-term for your spiritual health. And yet we often can fall into habits and patterns of ignoring looking to Jesus. It's a dangerous path for us to walk to ignore the Son. That's the kind of path that Jesus will lead some to, for Jesus to declare, apart from me, I never knew you. You never really spent time with me. And yet, when we do have courage to boldly look to Jesus, we can see much like the Apostle Paul sees from verses 7 to 11, a brother who has died for us so that we might be forgiven. A brother who calls us his friend, who is rich in grace for us, who blesses us with the ability to have wisdom. Or how about this question? How many times have you had 
to ask yourself in the last year, how am I going to live in a moment like this one? I don't know what I should do. I don't know what my priorities should be in this moment. Do you read what the Apostle Paul says in verse 8? He seems to say in one sense, oh, you're lacking in wisdom and insight, Christian? Well, have you looked to Jesus? Or have you been looking elsewhere to get your marching orders? A lot of people are getting their marching orders these days from strange places in this moment in history. Whose words guide your steps in this moment, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Then in verse 10, we see the buzzword of at least our last week, as an inauguration almost always includes this buzzword of calling for unity. But Paul makes clear, unity actually happens through Jesus. Only Jesus can truly unify. And he doesn't just unify people from every tribe and every nation who come to him, but he holds the ultimate power to unify both heaven and earth. One day in the future, we will all live on earth again with new unbreakable bodies that will be held together, heaven on earth, by the Son of God, heaven brought down to earth, a new Eden. So you want unity? Look to Jesus. He'll give you peace of mind. He'll give you a brotherhood. He'll give you a relationship. He will set you at ease. He will give you wisdom. And yet, what enables our hearts to look to Jesus? That's the last person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is truly the life giver. All creation receives its vitality in one sense from the Holy Spirit. When we watch those documentaries like Planet Earth and we marvel at the wonders of creation, when we peek into the night sky and we behold these flaming balls of light that are distant galaxies from us, upheld in space, we, we behold what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 104, the work of the Holy Spirit. When we see a barren land, a barren field, become a fertile field, as the prophet Isaiah talks about in chapter 32, verse 15, we see the work of the Spirit. Even the creative craftsman, the skilled laborer, the artisan, as Exodus 31 points out, allows us to catch a glimpse into the creative mind of the Holy Spirit in all its grandeur. The Holy Spirit is incredible in the vitality that he gives to creation. And when talking about the natural world, I always look for a time to talk about the greatest of all animals, the penguin. My tuxedo-wearing penguins. Now's a good time to talk about a penguin, but if we're being honest, it's always a good time to talk about a penguin. And not just any penguin, but the emperor penguin. The emperor penguin male is known for in the heart of the Arctic winter to go to the center pretty much of the Arctic and huddle with a bunch of other male penguins for 115 days, holding an egg that the female had left on, the, on their feet, and the female had long gone off and gone to go eat fish, and they all just kind of waddle around in, in circles together. It's negative 60 in the Arctic in the heart of the winter. You can get wind gusts of 100 miles an hour in the Arctic, and yet somehow the emperor penguin hasn't given up on this idea and, and is happy to do this. 
to not eat for 115 days, in negative 60, in 100 miles an hour, I can't even get my dog to go outside, my most obedient dog, when it rains. How do they sign up for this year in and year out? It's because of the unique sustaining hand of the Holy Spirit over all creation that inspires life in the deserts, in the Arctic tundras, in the wastelands, in the jungles, in the forest, on coastal plains and the like who takes delight in empowering life to live in places it shouldn't be able to live. And if the power of the Holy Spirit can sustain life for a penguin in negative 60 degrees with a 100-mile-an-hour wind in the middle of an Arctic winter when they haven't eaten for 115 days, what can He do for you today, Christian? What can He do for you today? Well, often we stubbornly fight and often try to resist the power of the Holy Spirit. If only we could learn from the beauty of those who live in obedience to the call of the Spirit. It's then we truly begin to thrive. You know, there, there isn't a social issue in debate today that can't be delicately pushed back upon. upon. And I do mean delicately by simply saying, I hold a different view than you, not because I hate you, not because I'm any better than you. I hold a different view because there are better ways to flourish in this life than the ideas you're calling and crying out for in the public square. God loves to see life flourish and thrive. And He has set a pattern to how life flourishes and thrives. Penguins wouldn't begin to thrive in the Death Valley. And iguanas wouldn't begin to thrive in the Arctic Circle, or in Antarctica. Yet somehow, we think as humans, we're going to do a better job by creating new and unnatural patterns to life and humanity in our public square, making up now down and left now right. And that's just fighting against the power of God. So the Holy Spirit is who we have our vitality through, And He has given us an order and a pattern to life to aid our thriving. And it's best seen in the Word of God that He has poured out through the power of His Spirit. But also the Holy Spirit's work is to continue turning our eyes away from self to our own interests in order to focus upon Jesus. And as the Apostle Paul closes on verse 14, he says the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we will ultimately inherit all that awaits us in Christ in the life to come. Because the Holy Spirit has preserved us for such a moment, for such a person as Jesus. Do you remember in the Gospel the moment the Spirit rested upon Jesus at His baptism and Jesus then heard the Father say, You are My Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Well, when we are saved, the Spirit empowers us in a similar kind of way, in a similar fashion, to finally hear out the Father. To cry out to Him as Abba Father, but also to hear Him say, You are my child and I love you. That's why, for all the debates on when baptisms, water baptism should be done, the truer baptism is the baptism of the Spirit. That is the one that allows us to hear God and to begin to experience God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise, but also the one who begins our looking to God and being able to hear God. And so as we can see, the Apostle Paul begins this book by really saying, before you read anything else, faithful Christian, 
Read this. Your God is three in one. And yet all the three, you can see how your one God just absolutely loves you. And is committed to you in each and every way. God just, God was never interested in just being our ruler. He's not content with that idea. That's what political powers want to do. They want to rule and enforce life change. If you don't follow their commands, then you'll get angry. They'll get angry or they'll cancel you from culture. This is why people who crave power, even people who crave power within a church community, are a dangerous people indeed. They don't reflect the ultimate image of God. God is not a God who demands power. A villain pastor once said here at the pulpit at Old Goshenhoppen, the only people who can safely use power are those who do not desire it. God doesn't desire you just to follow his rules, Christian. He already had all the power long before you existed. And he's already had a perfect relationship in his threefold unity forever, even before he created time. Or rather, our God has come to us because he's generous. And through the eyes of faith, we can now see him as Father, as Son, as, as Holy Spirit. And as we see him more clearly, we should give, begin to both understand and to love him more. Because our God is a Father who will make sure he will carry us home. He is a son and a brother who died so that we might be adopted as brothers and sisters. And God is a Holy Spirit who gives life and vitality and security even in the desolate places. What a glorious God who sacrificed so incredibly so that we might simply begin to love him and to have a fruitful relationship with him. How that can change the course of our life if we are focused more deeply upon him. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, I pray for all of us to better look to you, to be in greater relationship with you in order to just love and serve you better. And we know that will ultimately create life change. That will change our wants. That will change our motives. That will change our desires. But Lord, let us just behold you and what you have done through your saving work of us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and just be motivated to love you well. May we not come to you motivated like a Pharisee, finding reason in ourselves to boast, but let's just boast about the glorious saving God who has put the work of salvation to rest so that we might find rest in you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.